Welcome, everyone, to the Pete the Planner Show. Dame, what would be without technical difficulties to start the show? You know, just when you think you've got all the problems solved, you get this. So, Dame, here's what's happening on the show this week. We are now turned into the speed round. I have a very important meeting in 53 minutes. So we must record this 39-minute show uh, with whatever we need to do in that time frame. So it's with that, sir that we are going to begin the show too. Oh, by the way, if you want to join us uh, uh, and watch this thing happen live, which is very exciting, you can do so at Facebook Live or YouTube Live every Friday at noon. And uh, for all the viewers and listeners in there right now, probably won't interact with you today. I like you. Not going to interact with you. Um, Dame, uh, let's start because I've got to start because we got to get going. In uh, Oh, someone said hello. Zencaster acting up. No, Danza, we canceled Zencaster. Just said you weren't going to interact with people. Sorry. Here we go. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. We will answer your question on the air by we, I mean, Damien Dunn. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Dame, this is the last moment of my week until I'm on vacation for one week. In fact, next week's show, we will have a best of because, well, well, the idea that there is a best of of what we've done is sort of funny in itself, right? Indeed. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing to think that somebody would listen to a replay of us. Dame, did you hear the rumor that taxes are about to go up for a certain population of Americans? Yes, I have heard that, Pete. So uh, what I want to do now is I want to talk about how a person is supposed to get their head around retirement savings choices in relation to tax rates. So, I mean, it's very exciting. I'm a lot of fun to hang out with. Oh, by the way, you know how I always say that, uh, A, I don't get invited to parties, and B, if I do get invited to a party, I am the first to be there and the last to leave? Well, no, no, no. first together and first to leave. Oh, yes. First to get there, first to leave. Sorry, <laughs> FIFO. Um, I did that this past Saturday at an outdoor surprise party for my college roommate. I was the first one there, almost ruined the surprise because I was there so early and then left well before anyone else. A total time in the party was? That's a good question. Pro um, probably two hours and 40 minutes. And oh, then that's I good. Being early. That's, that's good. That's no good. one needs any more of me than that. No. Uh, Dame, so uh, this all came about. I think I wrote a USA Today column about it this week because I got this email. That this guy said, look, I think taxes are about to go through the roof. And, and I can't, in, in this guy's mind, I think his name was Michael from Chattanooga, Tennessee, whatever. In his mind, he could not see a scenario in which tax rates would come back down anytime soon, including into his retirement period. Okay, so, so far we're tracking, right? Okay, yeah. So he was like, okay. I have been a traditional 401k guy my entire life, but now I think if rates are going to go up and I will theoretically have to pay a higher tax rate at retirement, if I have a traditional vehicle, shouldn't I switch to a Roth vehicle and which is after tax money that you can uh, withdraw tax free at retirement? And I was like, that's a really good question because I think sometimes we forget that 
this whole scenario around whether you should have a traditional or Roth is really built on your prediction of what your tax rate will be at retirement. Yeah, there is no shortage of speculation when it comes to what tax rates are going to do in the future, whether it's for uh, the the $400,000 income plus crowd or whether that's going to come back to the middle class. Wherever you stand on that, your judgment, your decision is going to be based largely on where you think tax rates are going to go and, and when that's going to happen. So if you are in the same boat as as Michael, uh, whether uh, you think uh, you are already in that group where we assume tax rates are probably going to increase or you think they will in the future, that's when it becomes important to decide whether or not a traditional type of uh, retirement investment, a 401k, IRA, uh, SEP, whatever it may be, where the money is taxed later is most appropriate for you or whether a Roth where you pay the tax now and you don't care what happens. Well, you might care what happens to tax rates, but it's not going to have nearly as much of an impact on you in the future. And this is a, a tough, tough decision. It is a tough decision because it's based on theory. Like there's math involved, but you have to try to figure out what your tax rate is going to be later. Um, I, I think I think too often people choose the traditional 401k when they shouldn't because it's it's the it's the default setting. I will say if you can find yourself in a lower tax bracket now with that contribution to your 401k, I think that makes a lot of sense. But for a lot of people, they don't actually do that and they don't know why they're using the traditional 401k. Uh, and they also don't realize that they likely have access to a Roth 401k. Now, first and foremost, I want to say this is my personal opinion, Pete. I'm not going to uh, try and make you agree with me on this. I'll try. I am most concerned with, are you saving enough for retirement, regardless of where you're saving it, whether it's a traditional 401k or Roth 401k, Roth IRA, whatever it is, are you putting enough away inside of your uh, regular saving habits to try and get there? Let's leave tax rates out of it. Can we agree on that? Yeah. You know what? That's funny because that reminds me of our conversation we've had about, I don't particularly care what sort of life insurance you have, as long as you have the right face amount of life insurance. Yeah. Isn't it funny how we often get caught up in what type of this or that when we don't even have the right quantity of this or that? Absolutely. Yeah. We get caught up in these very small details that we think is going to help with, may help us um, get one over on our, you know, the, our, our friends so we can brag about it at a cocktail party. Frankly, I don't care. Do the basics right. Block and tackle. Move on and make sure that you're set up for the long run. Now, if we want to, if we're doing that consistently, and we want to start working on ways to uh, be a little bit more strategic, then yeah, let's talk traditional versus Roth. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, so I, I buy into that point. So um, I don't even remember what the original question was. Uh, I made that point so well. It was, I, you know, I have to admit, I was sort of testing you there because I could tell. That when you you were like point number one, and then you went, and then I yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, and then I was yeah. I was honestly I knew you had forgotten point number T two, totally failed. So <laughs> what, what's uh, what's the point? The point is, I think more people should have Roth instruments. I really, really do. Um, now that being said, I mean we're being transparent. I I I use my traditional IRA or try my traditional four hundred one k contribution to dip and mm -hmm. dip a bracket. So. That's not going to change for me. Uh, I don't think anytime soon. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I know it's funny. So I have to do, pay, I do payroll for our organization as the CEO. And I, I look at all the people in our organization's different choices of whether they use pre or post and uh, a traditional or a Roth uh, in terms of their 401k contribution. 
And I think it's really fascinating knowing what I know about different people's financial lives is why they choose what they choose. I don't know. Just fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in having some money in a Roth instrument, whether it's a 401k or an IRA. Um, I, I think there's too many advantages that are available to you in retirement uh, for the, you not to have something in there, even if it costs you a little bit now, but be able to have the flexibility to access a, a chunk of money without having any tax consequences associated with it can come in really handy in retirement, especially if we're talking about tax rates going up. How often do you, I mean, since we're talking Roths, how often do you consider uh, being able to use a Roth for college costs is when you, when you talk to people about this? Because I know a Roth 401k is clearly different than a Roth IRA in this regard. But I mean, I, I think a Roth is a very flexible vehicle for that particular reason. You can always withdraw your principal without having you know, penalties and those sorts of things or tap, tax implications for that matter because you've already paid tax on the money. Yeah, I try and avoid it. I like, just like you, I like to keep retirement instruments for retirement purposes. Um, if you are trying to double dip uh, for a Roth account and use part of it for a 529, or sorry, college uh, funding, then you might end up hurting yourself in the long run with the retirement side as well. So I want to have dedicated college savings. And if you want to put it in a 529, great. If you want to use an UGMA, fantastic. Uh, there are some some headaches that come along with that potentially. Uh, maybe just a non-qualified account to, to have ultimate flexibility in that and not really worry about anything. But I much prefer to keep retirement retirement. How much do you buy into this idea that tax rates are always going to go up? Uh, you know, I, I know sometimes we get disenchanted with government. And so we're like, well, they're always going to go up. How much do you buy into that idea that someone can make that assertion that, well, we're, we're in trouble. So you might as well pay our taxes now. I try not to put too much weight behind it. And I try and gently tiptoe on that uh, tightrope when, whenever it comes up, because uh, there has to be a ceiling for the vast majority of us. Now, if you are uh, of a certain income, uh, Parts of your your wealth, your income, maybe even wealth, may get taxed in the future, but uh, I, I don't think it's an unlimited ceiling. Well, we'll hit hundred percent eventually. I will say this: the top tax bracket in 1944 was 94 mm -hmm. percent, and during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the top brackets were all north of 70 percent. Mm -hmm. So times certainly change. Dame, coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the economy recovering and where the jobs are going. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Dame, during that segment, I forgot to mark uh, where or you I started? didn't start my clock. And so then I had to do math while you were talking, <laughs> while you got last on your uh, lost on your own point. So yeah. that's very difficult. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could help you with my verboseness. Verbosity. Verbosity Whatever. Not a word. Um, no, okay. No, nobody likes somebody that's smarter than everybody else. I've never experienced that personally. Um, okay. Uh, let's do that jobs thing there was another point i was gonna make you forgot too huh yeah gerbs all right let's we guys we just gotta go uh i'm with jeremy bad idea leave retirement alone hello jeremy good day to you sir there he is hola i believe jeremy uh correct me if i'm wrong dame did jeremy not give me guff for not participating in a beverage last week during the show oh probably yeah, I feel bad about that, uh, and I was going to do it today, but again, I have a meeting in a few minutes that I definitely cannot uh, have partaken. I feel like this is going to be a recurring theme for you. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It does. All right, in three, two, one. 
back on the Pete the Planner show. Almost forgot the name of the show there, Dame. Dame, did you see the outstanding jobs report on Friday, uh, April 2nd? Did you happen to see the March jobs report and how good it was uh, this week? Came in above expectations, if I'm not, not mistaken. Yeah. And it, okay. So if we step back for a second and when we think about what's happened in the last year and where we've come from beginning of January to where we are now, if you just had to go 30,000 foot view and say, well, yeah, that actually makes sense. March would have a pretty reasonable jobs report. You would think it, it, that would be the case, right? I mean, yeah. it makes yeah, sense. Sure. Last April's jobs report was terrible. I think we all know that that, that makes sense. Uh, you knew that probably jobs report in August, in September of 2020 would probably be pretty good as unemployment ended. I mean, you can just sort of say qualitatively, we think that's what's going to happen. What I thought was the most interesting part about the jobs report, which is I wanted to spend some time on now, is where are the jobs that are coming back? And what can that tell us about what is next? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the jobs report and we're going to talk about what industries added jobs in March. Uh, and the first one right off the bat, Dame, is probably the least surprising thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is that 280,000 jobs were added in leisure in hospitality. That's not surprising. No, not at all. We, we've got things opening back up. We've got vaccines that are starting to be uh, readily available to the vast majority of Americans. So we're going to get out. We're going to do things. You've got uh, restaurants that are rehiring. We've probably got uh, amusement parks and, and things of that nature that are going to be hiring for the summer season. There's all sorts of reasons to think that leisure and hospitality is primed for a massive summer this year. Combine that with uh, what happened on Friday, uh, April 2nd, uh, is the CDC says if you've got your vaccine, it is very low risk to travel, which I think is going to take that jobs report of 280,000 new jobs and take it in April to uh, heights unknown. I think even United or American Airlines, United, I believe, announced that they're going to be hiring hundreds of new pilots here in the coming months. So um, from that perspective, we're looking good. The next one is slightly deceiving and, and admittedly disconcerting. <laughs> 136,000 jobs were added in March in government. Let's, let's talk about that. So I wish I had more time to research the ins and outs of that, but a lot of those jobs were based on uh, local municipalities and states as opposed to the federal government. Although, I mean, if we're being honest and if we're being uh, transparent, you know, a, a democratic administration to say that the 180, 136,000 jobs were added in government, I mean, you could say, well, it tracks, right? I mean, that, that tracks. Government tends to grow, good, bad, or otherwise. It just does. Uh, thoughts on that? As much as I don't like to see that number, I'm grateful that there are more incomes being uh, had inside of families. Um, and I'm really hoping that a lot of those jobs weren't uh, in the IRS enforcement arm uh, to, to, for, for audits. So I, I love you, IRS. Don't come look at me. I have two letters from on my desk right now from the IRS that I've received oh, last week. Yeah. Once. Uh, okay. So the first one was, <laughs> well, let's just go through it. I mean, since we're talking about it, uh, they sent me a letter in October uh, of 2020 saying I owed them money, which I don't. So I had my accountant send them a letter that says, 
we do not. And so I got a letter uh, two weeks ago confirming that my accountant sent them the letter saying, I do not owe them. And they're like, we'll get back to you. A week later, I got an email, uh, uh, pardon me, a piece of mail about this. And it says, I'm sorry, your uh, uh, accountant doesn't have the ability to send us the letter on your behalf. And so now you're going to have to give him the power of attorney and declaration of representation. So I'm glad that this is all going on in my life. He, the accountant didn't sign your tax return? Uh, he did. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and just go out on a limb here and say that the IRS uh, is wrong. So anyway, back to yeah. the bit. Uh, 110,000 in construction jobs. Not surprising. It's not only construction season. Uh, I would have to admit, though, I can't see a lot of commercial buildings being built right now. I mean, it's got to be all residential. Residential. And from what I, I saw an article this morning, I think it was, that said... Uh, mortgages are drying up unless you have an absolute perfect credit score and impeccable financial records. And that a lot of the, the, uh, the purchases right now are because people are buying second and third homes. Wow. Oh, I didn't even consider that. I mean, at the risk of uh, alienating and frustrating my friends in the commercial real estate business, including one of my good friends, will a commercial real estate building ever be built again? <laughs> I, I you would think in major metropolitan areas, it seems like there's always plenty of capacity as you're driving down the the major highways. Um, it's going to be a while, I think, before somebody sinks some some cash back into new construction. Uh, Levi on Facebook Live makes an interesting point right now. Uh, he says, you know, infrastructure is going to be booming here soon, especially with this infrastructure plan. We just cons- assumed this construction was built around building buildings, could be road construction. That's and true. I think he makes a really interesting point Anytime you hear the, the, you know, the term infrastructure spend, you got to think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of jobs, roads, bridges, uh, railways, all those sorts of things. If that's what ends up happening. I'm just waiting for the American auto bond, Pete. That's, that's what I'm banking on. I know that's the case uh, for you. I want to talk to you about that infrastructure plan so badly because, you know, because of cars, very frankly, I, I know what a car enthusiast you are. Is that is that fair? I can call you a car enthusiast. You have posters of cars behind your head right now, as I can see them. You may. So I am not a car enthusiast. Um, and, and I also, I think electric cars are neat and all, but I don't have any desire to necessarily have one because I like the idea that I can jump in my car and drive to Florida or Hilton Head or something like that and not really think twice about it despite the fact that I only do that once every year to two years. Dame, this idea that everyone would be in electric cars and we'd have the infrastructure deal with it, it somehow still doesn't seem that practical to me because that would mean I would have to drive to a hotel somewhere in Kentucky or Tennessee, probably Henderson, Tennessee in that area, and stay there hoping that they had something I could plug my electric car into so I could get the rest of the way to Hilton Head. That's that's what we're talking about, no? Or am I being too oversimplistic? that may be part of the overall infrastructure plan. And I, I think there'll be some money diverted towards that for sure. But, you know, electric cars are going to make great strides with the charging capacity and how quickly that can happen um, in, in the near future, I believe. And it's going to become a lot more tenable for the average person to make an electric car, their only car and road trip it right now. I really wish I didn't have to own a car. I, I mean, I, I really do. And that's not me being like a green guy. Cause Sure, we recycle and whatnot, but I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. You got a bicycle. 
I do have a bicycle. It's almost bicycling season. Dame, uh, adding back to the jobs, uh, we have 66,000 in professional and business services, 53,000 jobs in March for manufacturing, which seems a little bit light uh, as, as uh, plants get opened back up. Transportation and warehousing at 47,500. Thank God the Suez Canal situation got worked out because I don't know if that would have been there. Healthcare and social assistance, 36,400. Dame, I read an article... I believe it was in the New York Times. Uh, maybe not. It's likely that's where it was uh, around mental health uh, professionals are in such high demand now as we enter two years of a lockdown and people staying at home. I agree. But then it comes to this really hard question of like, well, where do the funds come to pay for those services? You know, because a lot of times there's more of a social service if people are struggling. How, how do you pay for all the need for mental health right now, especially since health insurance doesn't really help with it. How do you pay for many of these things that, that are out there at this point? I mean, that's, that's kind of the, one of the big questions that are on a lot of people's minds is there are a lot of worthy things to throw money at, but we've got to come up with it at somehow. The money, the money printer runs out of power at some point. All right, let's do that. We're, we're going to continue this conversation after the break. I mean, we have to bring up the student loan thing and all that's next. I'm Pete the Planner. I almost ran out of time there. Uh, we do have to talk about the student loan thing that popped back up today uh, and yesterday. Did you see I didn't, it? No. It's, well, uh, it's Biden exploring whether he can legally cancel up to $50,000 in student loans. Oh, I saw that in a sidebar. I just assumed it was linking to an old article. No, no. That was uh, like it's happening now. In fact, well, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, and it's funny as we're having this conversation I, I read a lot. I, I read a lot of, of news. Um, and there was this article about how God, I can't even get into it because I didn't read the article. And I'm, all I'm saying is I wish I would have read the article because it would have informed this conversation. But I was about to weigh in based on the headline, which is just stupid. Well, it would have made our show so much better. Did you get this yet? Nope. It hasn't arrived at your house. No. Okay. It's really good. I mean, maybe my TD's reading it. He could probably use it. Uh, so everyone uh, on the podcast right now, what I'm holding up is a book called This Book Will Make You Kinder. I'm sorry, Thomas. I didn't mean it. Oh, it is a really, really heady book about empathy and why uh, we could be kinder, but our mistakes around empathy prevent that. Uh, empathy is a really important part of our organization, the work that Damien and his team does on a regular basis, and everyone within an organization, whether they're part of the advice team or not. And so sometimes you feel like empathy is finite. Uh, my, my, long my, my longtime contention is that it is not finite. This book talks about why it is infinite, however, why we make it finite with our own mistakes. So this is a very much appeals to me. I sent a copy to everyone on our team. Uh, so there you go. Looks like a very nice doggy on the front of that book, too. Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, there's a name for the dog, but I don't remember. Dame, we got to keep going. And three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, we were talking about there's a lot of spending going on right now in terms of this idea around infrastructure, of course, the stimulus bills, um, and now, of course, student loans, as the Biden administration had, uh, I almost said admitted, announced this week. <laughs> that uh, the president has asked Education Secretary Miguel Cardona to prepare a memo on the president's legal authority to cancel up to $50,000 in student loan debt. There was a study done 
that was trying to understand the difference between canceling $10,000 of student loan debt for uh, anyone who has it versus 50, you and I on this show in the past have contended that we thought $10,000 was the more likely solution. We thought that's what would happen. But the way this article paints it in CNBC suggests that the president is getting incredible pressure uh, from uh, Democrats in Congress to make it $50,000. So what I'd like to do is to put some numbers around that if we can. Uh, Dame, if all federal student loan borrowers got $10,000 of their debt forgiven, the outstanding education debt in our country goes from $1.3 trillion to $1.7 trillion. So it basically is a $400 billion expenditure. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but $400 billion just simply doesn't seem like that much these days, given that we've been talking in trillions for the last you know, 13 months or so. My, how things have changed, right? I know. It's almost like you've been saying that all along um, and canceling $50,000 for all borrowers would take the debts down to 700 billion from the 1.7 trillion it's at. So that alone would be another trillion dollars of spending's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're basically talking about foregoing receipt of future payment, but it's not exactly spending but it still gets to the same point of you've got fewer receipts and more obligations. Dame, here's long been my concern about doing this without any teeth around what is happening in higher ed altogether is that let's say this app, let's just go, let's go the full baloney here. I don't know if that's a phrase, but it is now. <laughs> uh, let, let's say we do the 50,000. I like the we part of this, but let's say the government does the 50,000 and, and we've knocked down debt levels to $700 billion. Um, that means nothing to anyone who is yet to be in college. And then 10 to 15 years from now, where that 700 billion is probably over 3 trillion at that point. So is this, is this just another form of stimulus? Is that the idea here that it, it is simply a temporary move? Because it's certainly not a permanent solution to the, the troubles of higher edge uh, cost of education. No, it absolutely won't fix the problem. So yes, you are freeing up, uh, you know, millions of people from their student loan obligations in hopes that they will uh, use that to uh, stabilize their own finances, prepare for the future if they can. But we're going to find ourselves right back in this the same situation. At least I think I I think we will in another you know however many years uh, it, it takes to build that back up. So. There needs to be some sort of reform on how uh, either people are charged for for uh, their education post high school, or um, you know, what it costs, or, or whatever that may be. I am not suggesting that the government pay for college. Please, please make that distinction. But uh, I, I think there are some some changes that certainly need to be addressed. I have opinions on all of this stuff. I think it's worth noting as a syndicated radio talk show host, I, I sort of should have opinions on these sorts of things. I guess what I have to tell you is maybe where I'm different from other radio show hosts. I don't have very strong opinions about these things. I'm not suggesting the way I think about it has to be the way that anyone else thinks about it, but I do like to critically think through it. For instance, Dame, I believe that our, our economy still needs a degree of stimulus because I would argue everything that happened last year was in fact not stimulus. It was preventing people from mm -hmm. 
what would have been much worse tragedy. It must much worse of a tragedy. So, I mean, I don't want to split hairs, but last year's bills weren't stimulus bills, and this pat last one, whatever the one point nine trillion, I think it was. I, I don't know. That was a stimulus bill. Very much believed that it was meant to create economic activity and to get the economy heading in the right direction. This, in, to, to, in my opinion, would be another form of stimulus where it says, okay, whatever you were paying in your student loan debt, uh, you, you don't have to pay anymore. But my challenge to that, and this is where my opinion really comes in, these people, <laughs> that sounds, doesn't that sound, <laughs> <laughs> how come any time you say these people are those people, it sounds bad? Yeah, uh, that's not great. Okay, well, here's what I mean. I don't have student loans. So these people that are paying on student loans haven't been paying on their student loans for over a year. They, they, they don't have to have had to have paid well, that good English there. You know what I mean? Like they had no obligation to pay for the last year. If they were federal. If they were federal student loans. So is that really going to stimulate the economy? I, I'm not sure. Now, there's also the argument, though, if you were in default on your student loans, if you were to default on your student loans, then you don't get a tax refund because uh, those uh, that refund is garnished mm -hmm. by the IRS. So that could theoretically free up some money. But I'm just struggling to see how this, this actually matters. And if you haven't been paying on your student loans for over a year, what have you been doing with that money? Can you restart paying your student loans or have you assumed it into your lifestyle and it's going to be really, really tough to get that 500 bucks or whatever it was a month that was going towards your student loans pulled back out and going in another direction. That's why I think the 10,000 one makes more sense. And, and again, I think it's important for us to say, I have opinions on this. They're not strong opinions. I'm not trying to convince you to think what, and I know that's what radio is supposed to be. I mean, I'm fully aware that that's what it's supposed to be is me trying to give you my big hot takes and get you mad or happy. I, I don't, I'm not really interested in that. I think based on what I what I know about this stuff that I, I feel that 10 is thousands better than 50,000. But you and I are both also coming from a place in which neither of us have student loads ob obligations that we have to deal with right now. Correct. I mean, it doesn't mean that uh, we didn't at some point in our lives or, or maybe our spouses didn't at some point in our lives. And we uh, you know, we, we, we made it through. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to pay for them. But um, these are obligations that people willingly enter into. And I've I'm a, of the opinion that if you're going to give help, it, it needs to be on the, the smaller end of the spectrum, which I think goes back to uh, maybe we need to reconsider how uh, people who um, have small loans who, who maybe went for a year or a semester and then decided college wasn't for them. Maybe we, re, we reconsider how that first year of college is structured uh, and how what we charge for it. So I think that could prevent a lot of um, uh, unnecessary student loan debt going forward. I will say this. I haven't thought a whole lot about college costs on a personal level since I was in college and other than starting a college fund for my kids when they were born. But my daughter's 12 now. She's in middle school. She now has a GPA, right? You see, you, you start to hear these terms that make you think of college. I got to admit, Dame, in the last six months, I've thought more about college costs on a personal level than ever before. I look at the school that my daughter thinks she wants to go to, right? And I look at the cost of it. And I go, okay, we're, we're doing okay. But man, that's, that is brutal, especially if it continues on that same track. I'm not sure college inflation is at the six to 7% per year that it used to be. Mm -hmm. 
when I used to study this stuff a lot, but I, I'm sure it's probably still up there a bit. I think it's still outpacing normal inflation by a, a, a considerable amount. I don't know if it is still six or seven though. Um, I would love to play a guessing game on what school she wants to go to. Go but right I, ahead. Uh, I, I'm going to stay local. Butler? Of course. Yeah. I mean, no. I'll say this. Uh, Butler University has done more to attract the interest of young local Hoosiers based on their mascot program. My daughter stood loving, loving Butler because of the bulldog that was a real bulldog that would just be seen around town. And I, I have to say, I think a lot of kids in central Indiana, Indiana feel that way. Yeah. That'd be the, the, uh, the picture with the, the bulldog and uh, sister, was it sister Mary from Loyola Chicago? Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Jean. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. It is a sister. Yeah. Somebody's exactly. sister. Dame, let's do this. After the break, we'll come back. We've got biggest waste of money of the week. I actually spent some time on that this week, so I'm excited to share that with you. And of course, the news. All that is next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. I like that I stopped that segment early, and so now my uh, executive producer back at the station is going to have to figure out how to fill seven seconds of airtime. And I didn't even try to stretch it out because I'm feeling really rushed today. I thought, I thought maybe I just didn't start my clock on time, but whatever. No, I was a moment of complete dismissal (laughs) for someone else's day. And that's not usually how I roll. No, but today that's where I'm at. There was a line in this book. Uh, I bought this book for my dad's birthday uh, this week. My dad turned uh, 68 years old. Uh, Happy birthday. Unrelated dad. Yep. Happy birthday, Unrelated Dad. And I bought this book for him. And before I handed it to him, I started reading through it. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. Then I ended up buying it for everybody. And by the way, uh, those just tuning in, this book will make you kinder is the book by Henry James Garrett. But Dame, so I was reading, I was like just getting stunned by some of these lines, but I couldn't mark it. I couldn't highlight it or or circle it Mm -hmm. because it wasn't my book. I was Mm -hmm. giving it to my dad. It'd be a little weird if I (laughs) underlined of exclamation point a few points. Yeah, it's uh, ah, it's really interesting. I hope you enjoy it. It's the, the first part of it, though. It, it, you got to be in the mood to think, right? It's it, it's not like a oh, yeah. Anyway, you know, what's also weird about this book. And I don't know why I'm doing this because I have to go soon. Yeah. I picked this up at the bookstore and I was like thumbing through it at the bookstore. Uh, and you know that profanity doesn't particularly bother me. You, you know this, right? I, I yeah. we're well aware it doesn't bother me. Um, and, and the, the big bomb was in this book. I, I just oh. was coming through and it's one of the words I saw in here, the big one. And I thought, yeah, which is weird. Cause I was like, oh, this is a great book for my dad. Like my dad's the kindest person <laughs> I know. And, and I went ahead and bought it and gave it to him anyway. But in it, and it's funny because over the years, whether it be on the radio show or, or in a blog post or mm-hmm. even a newspaper, I would use sort of minor pieces of profanity, even in speaking gigs, like, you know, the D word, the H word. And I would never go any further than that. Um, And you'd get the feedback from certain people of like, well, that's completely unnecessary. Don't do it because it could turn off your audience. And in that moment, when I was buying this book, I was like, yeah, I actually finally see their point here because this is something like, you know, I don't particularly know the context of which the person used the F word, but I guess you will find out when you read the book. If, if, oh, Dame, come on. <laughs> um, uh, Dan's ICU, by the way. Oh, there it is. Uh, okay, we've got to start this segment. Go. What's happening? We got go. to start. We got to go. Oh, uh, oh, uh, mm, ah, here we go. In three, two, 
one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is... Oh, do you see it, Dame? Do you see it? It's the Volonic, which also rhymes with Colonic. Colonic, yeah. 18 karat gold valet charger. Using the finest materials on the planet, Volonic. Do you think it's pronounced Volonic? It's V-O-L-O-N-I-C. Or is it like Volani? As a Volonic? Volonic. That sounds better than Volonic, right? Yeah. You just don't want to rhyme anything with Colonic. Colonic, no. I'm going to start over saying it right. Okay. Using the finest materials on the planet, Volonic has <laughs> assembled the most extravagant charger on the market. The limited edition Valet is made with a solid 18 karat yellow gold frame and a surface wrapped in vicuna wool. Softer than cashmere, the Peruvian fabric is known to be the rarest and the most expensive wool there is. Inside the lavish exterior, an 18-coil matrix with era-free power technology provides position-free wireless charging for any QI-enabled device. It can power up to three devices, while three LED indicators show the charging status. So, Dame, obviously, we're on a live stream, and we're also doing radio right now, and so it's sort of confusing. But can you see what we're talking about now? It holds three devices. You can see on the screen what we're talking about, right? Yes, I can. And I have properly described the Volonic Volonic charger, correct? Yes, you have. Dame, how much does this charger made of 18 karat gold and Vicuna wool, how much does it cost? Uh, $350. $350 is what you're going with. That is what I am going with. Try $250 thousand dollars wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow i really won that time two hundred and fifty thousand dollars damien now is did somebody nft this and that's how they're getting two hundred and fifty thousand dollars out of it what who in the world would spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a phone charger that's got to be a marketing exercise right like just to draw eyes to something else that they produce to me, there's nothing better than buying a pack of lightning cables off of Amazon for close to nothing and just like going through them like they're Kleenex. And you pay like $6.99, that's $6.99, and you get like seven different chargers, $250,000. That's crazy. Indeed. I will agree with you on that. Can you hear all the noise in the background? My kids, it's their first day of spring break, and I feel like every word they're saying is coming through. Can you hear it? Not a lick. That's good. I'd. I'd yell at them. Dame, what's in the news? This the, off the offshore wind industry is getting a major boost from the Biden administration as the White House aims to reinvigorate a potential source of renewable, emissions-free electricity that has never fully taken off in the United States. Wow, what is that? Oh, yeah, hold on. I'm like I Michael Winslow. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> that is a <laughs> reference that maybe 30% of the audience gets. Nice yeah. job. Uh, as part of a government-wide effort announced Monday, the White House set a new target to deploy enough offshore windmills to power millions of America homes, 30 gigawatts by 2030. That sounds like a lot of energy. It is. One gigawatt is estimated to be able to power 300,000 homes. What? So 30 gigawatts means, do the math, 9 million homes could be powered from this wind farm. Well, all of the wind farms. Or if you want to think outside the box a little bit, that means Marty and Doc could take make 12 round trips in the DeLorean. 
So what's the but here? Because I feel like there's a but. No, I mean, will it be approved? Uh, the wind farms are going to be owned by, uh, at least the three that are proposed are going to be owned by European companies. Uh, the federal government's going to have to lease space in the ocean, which sounds ridiculous to, to build these. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm reading the news, Pete. I wasn't, I did wasn't paid give, to commentary. Did you give a cost to how much that would be? I don't know. I mean, no, there's no, it doesn't what matter. Pete. It's, it's for the environment. That's interesting, um, especially in light of the the Texas situation, where those some of those wind turbines, not a lot, not all of them, and it wasn't a huge impact, but they're, they're, they did get shut down based on being frozen and not working. Now that wasn't the issue, the power grid issue in Texas, but that's fascinating. That's a lot of homes being powered by wind. Yeah, I, I mean, on the face, it sounds like yeah, this is a no brainer, but. I mean, hurricanes happen in the ocean. I've, I've heard that's the most likely place they do happen. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, breaking news. So I don't know. I, it just seems, I don't know. What else is in the news? Let's stay with the government side of things. Congressional Democrats and the Biden administration are planning another round of health care initiatives that could include lowering the Medicare eligibility age following a major expansion of the ACA Act earlier this year. The package is likely to contain measures to reduce drug prices and expand health coverage, lawmakers said. Proposals to expand Medicare eligibility from age 65 to 60. Okay, this I, I have not heard anything about this, and I'm listening. That is fascinating. I really want to think about the ramifications of that. Well, let me read. You can think while I read just a little bit more. Uh, they want to uh, also give the federal government the ability to negotiate drug prices in the, the program for seniors both of which President Biden supported during the campaign trail. Uh, they're both also likely to be included. No official word on how the administration proposes to pay for this proposal either. Any guesses? <laughs> Corporate taxes. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so let's think about the ramifications of this. This means one of, one of the reasons people stopped retiring early as frequently as they used to was because then they had to find a way to, to fund healthcare from whatever they age, they retired to the age of 65, right? So that was, that was a pretty big issue. But Dane, what this would do is would allow that decision to be much easier by age 60. So that could theoretically free up jobs, which seems like a really good thing. But I would also argue the lack of retirement readiness is just as much to you know, they would have to move Social Security age up to 60 to make that particularly matter, which would also be a really bad thing, though, because they have to move Social Security age back or the program runs out of money. This is complicated. Yeah, I, there's so many considerations here. It's a huge conundrum because, uh, you know, the, the programs are already going to run out of money or at least scheduled to run out of money uh, in the relatively near future, by the way. Running out of money isn't the um, dire circumstance for most people as it is because there's still going to be some level of benefits that are provided. But this is crazy. It could really help uh, the, the employment side of things by uh, freeing up some jobs for younger workers coming into the workforce. However, it will put a huge strain on government resources paying for all of these extra services. Man, I, I I would love to really. Can you send me that? Uh, I will see if I can refine that. Uh, because article. again, I'm thinking about this for a second. They would have to change Social Security age to 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 match it. 
part, part of the reason Medicare was at 65 because that was at full retirement age at one point in time, which is now 67 for, for most people, 66 and change or 67. And then the thought was that's going to be pushed to 69 or 70 or 72 going forward. But then this sort of flips that on head. So it solves some problems, but I think the problems it causes might be worse than the problems it solves. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. One more story, Dave. I will try and uh, give you the abridged version of this this piece because it will surely make you upset. Uh, <laughs> do you remember when uh, hospitals were required to start publishing the prices for services online? I do, yeah. Uh, healthcarebluebook.com was one of the services. I don't know if that's one of the services, but they're required to publish it on their own websites. Well, they've done that. However, they've buried those prices so far into the website, making it very, very difficult to come up with. And by the way, they changed the coding on those pages so they don't pop up on Google searches. Oh, so they're published, but you can't find them. Very, very difficult to find. Is this everyone or is this a trend? Is this, was a, this was a uh, survey done by uh, some company to go out and see if, if hospitals were playing uh, fairly. And they found that uh, a number of hospitals are skirting the rules a little bit. You know, I have to admit, sometimes we do web design on our site that we want certain people to find, but others don't. But it's usually not something like the transparency of healthcare prices. It's just generally proprietary information. Yeah. Dane, that's all that we have time for this week. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this was the Pete the Planner show. All right. Um, I have to go here in a second. I know. Uh, Jeremy says... Uh, wants to know about my squirrel catching and jeremy i just have to let you know it is a form of ground squirrel it is a chipmunk um i have not caught any chipmunks this year although there was one guy that's really been taunting me on my front porch so i will keep you posted i plan in the spring here because we're going back to our offices on june 1st uh the show will then be probably there i'm going to do a live squirrel cam uh, pardon me, a live chipmunk cam on the show here so you'll get to see that as we catch chipmunks midday It'll be riveting. Doesn't that sound like a product feature that I just announced that like no one cares about except me? That will never come to fruition. Oh, wow. In what way? That it, that it's just the timing won't work out or you don't think I can pull it you're off? Gonna, you're just going to put a still picture up there of the, uh, the, the, the trap and we'll never see anything. It'll just be a tease. Um, I actually have video of a, a chipmunk being captured that I'm going to show you right now. Okay. Bring it. It's going to be great for the podcast listeners. Podcast listeners are going to love this. But you know what? The podcast is free, so they can pipe down a little bit here. Um, all right, Dame, this is going to happen. Um, hold on. Can you see? Okay. Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. That was my daughter acting strange. Big surprise there. Um, where is the video? What's the video icon look like on a... It's riveting. This is a good show. Okay, hold on. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Okay, everyone on the podcast, you are about to see. No, they won't. All right, so here is a chipmunk being captured. Here we go. Let's play. Is it playing? Yes. Okay, so I'm, I'm narrating. If you're listening on the podcast right now, there is uh, a chipmunk that potentially, oh, he's approaching the trap. He's standing up on top of the trap. 
he is going into the trap and he sees the bait, which is a peanut butter covered nut. Oh, he took the bait and he has been captured. That's the sort of riveting things I can bring you here on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, did you like that? It was amazing. Everything I thought it would be. I was just waiting for noob to be yelled. Oh, it happens, but I didn't put the sound into that video. Oh. Dame, I really do have to go. Um, and I wish you the best of luck. To everyone else, I'm not going to see anyone here for a couple of weeks because I'm going on vacation. <laughs> so, Dame, good day to you. Good day. And goodbye, everybody.